Welcome to another episode of The Corner Booth, the official podcast of RestaurantOwner.com and Restaurant Startup and Growth Magazine. Today, the restaurant industry is changing faster than ever. Learn from successful independent restaurant operators and other industry leaders as they share best practices that will help you engage your team, delight your guests, and grow your business. Here are your hosts, Barry Schuster and Chris Tripoli. Well, welcome to another episode of Corner Booth. I'm Chris Tripoli. And I'm Barry Schuster, editor of Restaurant Startup and Growth Magazine. And today we have something special for our listeners. We're going to be learning a little about a very, very established concept that's able to grow while maintaining core values and adjusting to the times. We're going to be learning about family dynamic and second generation operators with mothers and fathers who started the company retiring. And so this is going to be an interesting story. The concept is La Mexicana. The operator who is our guest is Zulema Gonzalez. Zulema, welcome to Corner Booth. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you so much. So Zulema, tell our listeners about your concept, how you got into the restaurant business. We're all interested in hearing about that. Okay, awesome. So my parents have owned La Mexicana since 1982. So we are a 39-year business. And what they did was it started as a grocery store. And it started as a grocery store in the 50s. And it was owned by a different couple then. And then a different couple took it over after that. The second owning couple, they're the ones that took it and turned it into a La Mexicana. And then my parents came along in 1982 and they bought the business and they just kept it as a grocery store. And that's pretty much how they started. Just turnkey, signed the contract and the next day they were open because the business was already running. It was just not being very profitable. Business was slow and, you know, it was 1982. So they just started building the business from there. So that's what they did. And that's how it kind of started as a little grocery store. And that's how kind of everybody knew us in the neighborhood was the little grocery store. And people would come in and buy their staples and their groceries and detergent and milk and beer, cigarettes, that kind of stuff that was being sold in the store. So that's how it started originally. Wow. When did they first introduce food service? Yeah. So my parents, you know, business was slow, was not fat. You know, they were struggling in the beginning, just as the previous owners were still were struggling with the business as well, getting sales and customers and stuff. So what they did was, you know, my mother likes to cook. She's always been interested in cooking and culinary. My parents are from Mexico, born and raised. So she thought, okay, well, let's make tacos. Let's make some sandwiches, you know, and try to get people in here. Another way for people to come in to spend money, you know. So they started with these like triple decker sandwiches that had like three pieces of bread and they made them with ham and cheese and she made them with chicken salad, tuna fish and things like that. And then they got like chips and sodas. And so that's kind of how they started with the food. After people started coming in with that, my mom thought, okay, well, how about some tacos? Let's do some breakfast tacos. So they bought a little stove, just like the traditional kind of stove you see at home in someone's house, you know, a four burner stove, and they bought a stove and they put it in the kitchen behind the counter of the meat market. And then, so they started offering tacos like that. And so that's how it started to get more people in the door is basically how that started. And what was the major turning point when you said, 
or your family said, I guess at that point, this really is more of a restaurant than it is a grocery store anymore. What happened to get you to the point where you decided to open a full service restaurant? Okay. Yeah, that's a really great question. More people were coming to eat and less people were coming to shop, you know, and my parents, they started off with two little tables and everybody, you know, who knows us from way back then, they remember the two little tables. And so with the more offerings that my parents started to offer the customers, just more people started coming to eat, you know, and they were looking for more things. And hey, how about eggs? How about huevos rancheros? How about some tortas and, you know, Mexican sandwich and things like that. And more people wanted to sit. They wanted to come in and sit. And so the two tables didn't become enough. So eventually they had to start taking away from the aisles because there was aisles in the little grocery store. And so they had to slowly start taking away aisles in order to add more tables. And they just kind of slowly built like that. My parents have never been ones to just, you know, jump in on like a humongous project or anything like that. They always did little at a time. So when those four tables didn't become enough, then they had to take away another aisle and add another two more tables. And slowly it kind of went on like that. Eventually, I want to say about the 90s, early 90s, that's when the grocery store, it was a novelty by that point, you know. But like I said, people were coming to eat and not so much to shop for the groceries. And then, you know, there's a big Kroger down the street. So people started going to Kroger. And so that's that's how it kind of evolved into that. As we all know, um, Mexican concepts are very popular (laughs) and it's a very competitive space. Very much. So, of course, one of my questions is um, I had to believe there were other Mexican restaurants in the area. (laughs) And. What, what made your special and stand out, made it competitive? Was there something special you were doing with the menu? Was it your engagement with your community? Um, there had to be something in my mind that, that made you stand out so that I'd want to go to your restaurant rather than maybe the two or three within that area. Okay. Um, gosh, that's, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think uh, people just like to see the the hustle, you know, the hustle that my parents put into it or, you know, immigrant, immigrant parents and that come from, you know, small beginnings and start from the bottom and they work their way up and they build slowly. And I, I think people do appreciate, can appreciate um, that kind of growth and that kind of hard work and And they worked hard. My parents worked extremely hard to build the restaurant into what it is today. Um, Another thing is, is that, um, you know, they, they're there, they, they're there. You see them, they're walking around They're You can easily talk to them They're You can easily approach them and you see them behind the counters. You see them behind the registers. You see them entering, you hear them entering the phones and greeting customers and, uh, and I think uh, just that's what I feel like that's what has set us apart from from other places. And, you know, and the food, you know, of course, we started off with some authentic with authentic dishes. But, you know, this is Texas. This is Houston. So people do want their Tex-Mex and they want their uh-huh. cheese and sour cream and all those kinds of things. So, of course, we introduced those, uh, those kinds of items, you know, in, in our style, of course. But um, 
but the food, I, I feel like it's, it's, it's been quality food. It has always been quality food and, and it is made, you know, to sound, not to sound cliche, but it is made with love. It's made with care. It's made with attention. And I do feel like all those things are what has helped us and set us apart, you know, in the, in the Mexican market, Mexican food market. Chris, you know, we have interviewed so many independent operators who have been successful and, you know, it seems to come up over and over again, this uh, relationship with the community. If I'm not reading between the lines too much, this authenticity, not only in the food, but in the approachability of the people working there. Um, and you've been a consultant for a long time. You know what differentiates businesses and you certainly know Salima's a concept. Um, am I making too much of that? Not at all. No, not at all. You're hitting it right on the head. And I and I think I need to add a little dimension here to the listeners because Zulema is being a little uh, humble <laughs> uh, in that uh, at the same time that people, I think, respond really well to authenticity and people do respond well to community contact and the mom and dad and their connection, they developed a loyal following very quickly. But during this time, they also got known sort of through the community as the anti-establishment, the anti-chain, the cool little hideaway that you go for family recipes where the family will meet you and give you little tastes of food while you're waiting in line. And you waited in line yeah. to get to this place. Um, uh, because uh, as we'll get to in a moment, because I know we have to talk about the facility and how this tiny little building turned into a bigger building and then a bigger building and then a redesigned building. Um, but there was this reputation and Zulam, I'm gonna ask you to describe the neighborhood a little bit. Was, was this really more of a ethnic following at first? Um, um, was this a very broad based neighborhood following that you were able to garner? Well, that's, um, well, when we, when, when the restaurant first started or the, the grocery store, it was a traditional Mexican carniceria, a Mexican meat market, you know, and the, the things that were in there were, you know, the stuff that you would find that are traditional to our culture, you know, the, the, the cuts of meat, the cheek and the, the intestine, you know, cow tongue, and you find uh, pig's feet and, you know, those kinds of offerings were sold. And like I said, in a tra traditional Mexican market setting, um, it, it, and that was the clientele at the time when my parents first took it over because we were a Mexican meat market, you know? So that's, that's who's gonna come. However, Montrose is Montrose, you know? Montrose has its, has its reputation for the eclectic and wide range of people and population and culture that it has. And so all the people, you know, the, a lot of the customers that we have, they've been in Montrose for 40, 50 years and they still come to the restaurant and they remember when we first started and they remember all those, you know, those humble beginnings. And um, so, but we have always, you know, Mexican food is loved by everybody, right? So, <laughs> I mean, you, you, and, and when you hear about a great place, people are going to come no matter from who they are or where they're from or where part of town they're from. But, um, you know, like I said before, if you know Montrose, you know Montrose and you know how Montrose was back in the 80s and 70s and wasn't that, wasn't that hot of a spot, but, you know, it was, it, it's, 
it's got its charm and its character and it still does. I think you're right. I think most major cities, uh, Barry, have have an area like that that is a little uh, artsy and and, and uh, it's the older part of town that is redone. It might have a younger dynamic and very theatrical type of thing. And that's the Montrose uh, area that Zulema is describing. And I remember the introduction, maybe early 90s, there was a lot of press taglines that would describe La Mexicana as the place gringos go to understand real Mexican lifestyle and food. Oh. Well, you know, that that's an interesting um, comment that you both made regarding that. And I and I we have all seen in every city where predominantly ethnic neighborhoods, I'll, I'll use the word, I don't like it that much, become solely gentrified and bringing in a more diverse population, artsy, maybe a hipster. But the question I I wanted to bring forward is there was a time I like Mexican food very much. And there was a time where I would, when I was younger, I would seek out very authentic Mexican food. Um, and I have to go into off the beaten path, if you will, into very ethnic neighborhoods. Sure. And this question I have in terms of, and this is my perception for both of you, uh, Diners are more adventurous now. So 20, 30 years ago, I talked to the owner of a small Mexican restaurant and they said, well, we have we, we're, we need to go more to chicken enchiladas. We may not be serving the tacos de lengua anymore. Right. But is there are, are you able to maintain these traditional dishes, which are not really kind of mainstream, but to me are really speak to the authenticity of what I consider Mexican cuisine? Does that make sense? It does. Um, well, you know, we, um, you have to educate the customer sometimes, you know, you have to educate your, your customer and, and it sometimes it is hard to um, be, it, it sometimes it is hard to tell customers, Hey, just because it's over, it's like this over here. Doesn't mean it's going to be like this here. You know, if you go to this Mexican restaurant down the street, just because you eat it over here with us, the exact same thing, it's not going to be the exact same thing, you know? So that's where some education comes in. It's funny because when you said about, um, uh, Chris about the, you know, teaching, uh, gringos, Mexican culture and things like that. Uh, we found, we were looking in the office the other day, my dad's got some, an old, like paper placemat that they used to have. And it has like Mexican uh, terms and definitions. And, you know, so people way back in the day could understand like what a chile relleno was and, you know, what a, what enchiladas were and what tostadas were. And it, it's super cute. And my dad said, yeah, I had those printed out so people would know what our food is, you know, what Mexican food is and stuff. And <laughs> so I, that mainly that made me, it made me smile when I heard, when I heard you say that. Um, as far as the dishes go, you know, we, like I said, education, you got, you have to inform the customer. And if they have questions, Hey, try this. This is what this is. This is carne guisada. These are beef tips with a gravy. And this is asado de puerco. This is like a red pork adobo sauce. And it's really good. And this is a chile relleno. It's a fried pepper and it's stuffed with meat. And, you know, once customers get accustomed to seeing those things on the menu and even trying them well you know it, it opens up opens up the palate you know and makes people more aware hey let's try something else let's try this now we have had 
tried to introduce really authentic things and they have not done well. <laughs> Just because people don't know what they are. They're not familiar with the cut of meat or they're not familiar with the spices or anything like that. So unfortunately, you know, we'll have to take it off the menu and try again. But we do, we do try to maintain a lot of really authentic things. Now our food is like more Northern, Northern Mexican food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we have those kind of dishes and recipes on our menu. Are you finding your diners are, your guests are more adventurous than they were maybe a decade ago or so when, you know, you remember serving uh, your customers? Um, yes, absolutely. I think, you know, now on TV, there's Top Chef and there's cooking shows. And and then, of course, all the wonderful chefs that are from Houston that that's that brings so much attention and spotlight to Houston, you know, and they also introduce um, these really great, um, you know, dishes that, you know, that are traditional to our culture and they put their little spin on it. But that does help people say, hey, let's let that looks good. Let's give that a try or let's give this a try. And and um, I do feel like seeing those things more mainstream, it does open up people's eyes and curiosity to of what it would taste like. Let's give it a try. And, you know, it doesn't hurt to taste it, to taste it either, you know, just give it a try. It's not gonna hurt you or anything. If you don't like it, you don't like it, no big deal. But, you know, you just, just so many great things out there to eat and to taste and people miss out when they don't try. And I think people are, more, are realizing that more, you know, hey, why not? You know, let's, let's try. So I do feel like all those, you know, really amazing chefs from Houston and cooking shows on TV. I think it does really help people open up their eyes to trying new things. I bet it did. Um, and maybe you could tell us a little bit about how your concept, as it was getting more and more accepted and the menu was getting more and more established, how it expanded. Uh, were you, in other words, were you always lunch and dinner? Did you always have weekend brunch? Um, when did the bar, liquor, beer, and wine come in? to play uh, a role? And um, how did those staggered steps affect um, how you operated and um, uh, the roles and responsibilities that each of the family members had to play? Okay. Um, Well, uh, yeah, you know, just like I said, as the restaurant grew and more people came to eat and less people came to shop, well, you know, and people in, in order to try to make more money, you know, and make the restaurant more, make the, the business more profitable well you know my mother she started make uh making her her recipes and making her meals and her and my dad you know they're both from like the northern area of mexico so they they both share the same uh recipes and dishes that they both grew up on and stuff so we just started offering more things to eat now we were i think when my parents opened the the shopping or the supermarket it was like a seven to three kind of thing and uh, so I think they kept they kept it like that for a while. So it was just breakfast and lunch for a good while. But then, um, you know, people were coming. People were coming to eat, and so they said, "Okay, well, we need to expand the hours. Let's let's start offering dinner. Let's 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 do some enchiladas. Let's do uh, fajitas, and you know, just a more broader options for the customer." So, and then eventually. The shopping, the the supermarket was all gone. You know, there was no aisles left. 
um, the front counter was still there and it's still there. The steam table that we have is still there, of course, too. So customers, you know, can see the meat and all the different meat um, offerings that we have. And I, I want to say about like 95 or so is when the bar got, uh, got created. And then, and then we built an outside, outdoor patio and then we bought, and because that, the, the building is attached to an old house. So what we did was uh, opened up part of the old part of the old house and made that into a dining room. And you can tell that it's a house, you know, if you really look at it, you can see that it's still a home, that it was used to be a home. And um, and so we just kind of slowly just kind of slowly built that way and, and that in that aspect like that, just real slow stages. And then about five years ago, we did a full remodel of the of the exterior because it was it was time. <laughs> it was time. It needed some love. It needed some attention. And you know, the neighborhood is changing too. You want to stay relevant, so you need to do you know to still stand out amongst all the other people that are still that are around. So that's why we did all those things. Um, as far as family business goes. Um, well, like our roles and stuff. Um, well, my parents are the owners, you know, my dad is the president of the corporation. Um, I have a brother and a sister, we all work there. And um, we all, well, we grew up, you know, we grew up there. So we were always in it, we were always involved with it. And, uh, but we started off as cashiers and we worked as cashiers for a very long time. And now that my parents are getting older, um, you know, those roles have shifted into more like managerial ownership uh, type of realm. Well, you know, with your energy and enthusiasm, I almost forget there's been a pandemic for the last 18 months. Uh, but um, you, your business, uh, your family, like everybody else, uh, had to live through that. And so uh, if if I may, I'd like to ask, you know, what was your strategy for um, staying in business and, and getting through this difficult time? Well, um, yeah, that, that last year, the pandemic, the whole shutdown, that was that was scary. It was scary. I was a real, real reality check, you know, everything for anybody. And, and I think all restaurant operators were scrambling, you know, because all of a sudden there's no dining and dining rooms are closed. What do we do? Um, we, we, we have always done to go food. Okay. So that's not, that aspect was nothing new for us. You know, we, we, and customers know, have always known that we, that we do to go food. So that part was not, was not difficult adjusting to only to go. We already had the containers. We are every pretty much everything on our menu can be packaged to go. And you know, Mexican food is very easy to eat in the car or sitting outside or whatever. You know, you can eat you can eat it with your hands. You know, um, so that aspect was was not hard. Now, given that to go, it, it's only a you know forty percent of our of our business of our profit. So. Uh, not having a dining room, it did affect a lot. And um, we also, um, we're with DoorDash. We've been with DoorDash for five years. We had already been with DoorDash for five years up, you know, when the pandemic hit and the shutdown happened and everything. So I think all those things, all those factors, it did help 
for customers to remember and to remember to, that they can order from us and that we're here. But it it was extremely difficult. I mean, it's if there was a pen, if somebody could write a pandemic handbook, <laughs> that would be awesome because nobody had any clue what, what what to do and what we were doing. And you know, and then we had to look, we had to our staff went way down too because we just we didn't need that many people anymore all of a sudden. And so we every single day we were doing something different, you know. If this worked yesterday and it doesn't work today, okay, the next day, let's, what do we do now? You know, we were always changing things around because we just really were just taking it day by day. Have you made your menu smaller? Um, uh, are you having any challenges right now in terms of bringing back sufficient labor? A lot of operators are talking about that. Um, uh, what What is the situation now in terms of, changes that you've made um, to adapt to what they call this new normal? Well, um, we, we kept, we were able, we were actually able to keep almost all of our staff. Uh, a few left, you know, a few older, well, a few older men that, a few older gentlemen that had been with us for, for a really long time. They were already in their late sixties. And so when the pandemic happened and the shutdown, they were like, they both said, uh, you know what? I think that, that that's it for me. You know, I think I'm, I'm just, I'm not going to ride this one out. I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and, and retire and hang up my hat. Um, but the majority of the, of our employees, we were able to keep, you know, um, uh, That's amazing. What you mean is other than a few say mm -hmm. that we're retiring anyway, when mm -hmm. you were ready for them to come back, they came back. They came back. Uh, I would say 99% of them, 98% of them, of our staff came back. A few didn't, you know, of course they, they, as soon as they, the shutdown happened and the work, all the work went down, uh, slowed down. I mean, you know, they, they didn't wait around. They went and found something else as soon as they could, you know, because they've got families and mouths to feed and rent to pay. And so, you know, a lot, uh, a few did have to move on to something else, but almost everybody came back. And since we were still open and still doing to-go food, um, we still needed staff around to make the food. And so what we did was we, um, we rotated them, you know, each person would get like, we'd have a, a crew of 10 and they would work for three days. And then another different crew of 10 would come in and work for like three, four days. And then, so that way everybody got a small, would be able to get something out of it, you know, because, you know, that they've, like I said, these are all our, our, our employees, they're, they're family. They have families, they have children and, and a job that's, it's important, you know, they, they have to hang on to it. And they said, no, we're not going anywhere. Just give us whatever we can do to do around here. Let us do it because we need, we need, we need money. We need a paycheck, you know, and, uh, but we were, we were able to keep everybody pretty much. Well, you know, and as Chris suggested, and I feel the same way, uh, that's pretty amazing compared to the stories we hear from other operators. Oh, and a lot of people are saying, well, you know, if you want them to come back, it's all about the money. And 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 I we both believe in livable wages. That's not the issue. Right. But I've got to believe there's something else in terms of the culture of your restaurant okay. that would say, listen, if, if there's a job there, I'm coming back. Yeah. I might be able to get a job someplace else, but I'm coming back to your restaurant. Um, I sure like to hear about that because your situation is fairly unique in terms of bringing back their staff. Mm -hmm. um, well, um, 
the majority of our staff, I would say more 60, 70% of the staff are all people with 15 years or more. And a good amount have 20 are over 20. And we do have some that are 30, 35 years, you know, and they they all say the same thing. Where where else am I gonna go? I'm not gonna go anywhere else. I'm gonna be here, you know, because they're they're, they're comfortable here. They're comfortable with the restaurant and they're comfortable with the staff. Um, you know, like I said, like I mentioned before, my parents are from Mexico. They're immigrants from Mexico. The people that, the staff that we have, they're immigrants as well, you know, they're hardworking people. And my parents understand, you know, the humility and uh, that, that their staff members have, and they can appreciate that. And they have always been appreciative of the staff that we have. And we have always tried, they have always tried to make sure that they feel appreciated and that they feel seen and are heard and that they don't, that they're not just punching a clock and then they leave, you know, and especially in my case and myself and my siblings case, you know, a lot of the stuff, they, they saw us grow up, they saw us as kids, you know, and now we're here as adults working and trying to help manage and trying to carry it on for another, you know, another generation. And, you know, they're dependent on us to keep it going because they want, they need the job, they need the livelihood. It's a, you know, like in Spanish, we say it's a fountain of Fuente, you know, it's a fountain of, of for many people that are, are drinking from that fountain, you know, and, um, but we, we, we are a family, you know, and like I said, we do try to be very appreciative of the staff. And also another thing, the, the customers, the customers are wonderful. You know, the, the tips that the customers so generously gave during the pandemic and the shutdown, I mean, it goes a long way for the staff members, you know, it, it helps so much. And it's just, you know, there's, there's a, there's a comfort there and a culture, like you said, there is a culture there that, that we have. And my parents are the ones that cultivated all that. I, I cannot take any credit for it at all. You know, they, they just, they understand who the staff is, you know, what kind of people they are and they want to make sure, Hey, thank you. Thank you for coming. You're thank you for coming and working for me, you know, and, um, but yeah, we, we, we do consider ourselves very lucky that we were able to maintain everybody, you know, and then we have steady work. We have steady work, you know, there, there's, there's steady business coming through and a lot of uh, staff members have family members that aren't working. And so they say, okay, well, I'm not going to go anywhere. If this place is still rocking, let's, let's stick around. Let's not, let's not go anywhere else because we need, we need that paycheck. So we, we are grateful of the staff tremendously. Well, you know, lucky that it worked out that way, maybe, maybe a little bit. But as I listen to you mm -hmm. uh, talk through uh, the commitment and, and the long term of most of the staff, I, I, I would say this is a well-deserved result <laughs> of the hard work and the, the culture of togetherness that was started so many years ago by your mother and father. Yeah. And then you and your siblings do a very, very good job Thank of portraying. You. Because yeah. you hear, I know Barry would agree with me, we hear a lot about concepts saying in handbooks or hanging in their signs or reading in their mission statement, how staff is family. Mm -hmm. um, but we don't really hear many stories yeah. <laughs> like this, though, where they actually do work together as a family and would almost feel, I don't know, insulted by leaving um, yeah. and staying 20 or 30 years. That's um, it's an incredible accomplishment. Good for you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, like I said, the, 
all the accolades and it, it goes to my parents. They, they work very, very hard. I saw it, you know, we all saw it. Everybody saw it, you know, the staff saw it, how hard they worked for that. And, and, and it can be appreciated, you know, and the staff appreciates it too. And then uh, running the business responsibly, you know, running the business responsibly and making sure that the bills are paid and that there's money in the account to the so paychecks don't bounce and things like that. And those things are appreciated by the staff. And, you know, in the end, they're, they're coming to work for us. They're coming to work for, for the business, you know, and you need to be, we are thankful of that. And we do like to make sure that they, that they know that, that they, that they feel those things. So, um, but yeah, my parents, they, they take all the credit. <laughs> they so take all the credit. What started as uh, as two tables and then eventually grew to knock the complete grocery store out is now a capacity of what? Uh, inside, outside, bar? Inside, outside, we're probably at about 125 now. 125 now. So we made the patio bigger and that helped. And then we uh, did some remodeling in one of our dining rooms in the back and that, that added a few tables too. So, and then plus the bar seats, um, we're, yeah, we're about 125. Now we've been operating at about 80% ever since, um, you know, Governor Abbott allowed the, the uh, restaurants to increase their capacity because we, um, we don't have enough waiters. We need two more waiters. <laughs> so we are, yeah. So that's why we haven't been able to operate at a full 100%. But when we, when we are, I would say it's about 125. And um, other than getting through this pandemic, which is everybody's top priority and getting oh, fully sure. staffed, which yeah. you have issues, but you're doing a great job. What um, what are the plans for the future? Is there another level you want to go to? Is there an area of your uh, menu or your style of service that you want to expand another unit? Um, or are you just really trying to keep everything going with what you have right now? Well, you know, um, we did have plans for, uh, for a second unit um, for a while, and it was, that was a good two, three years in the making. It took a long time. Ashley, um, you know, a la carte, of course, was helping us, and, and Chris was in the beginning of that also. Um, but then uh, last year when the shutdown happened and everything just kind of got to a standstill, we, we were like, oh, I, I don't know. Is this the right time for this? This is really, we need to, we need to really think about this. And then the sales went down tremendously at, at La Mexicana, you know, at the mother. And, um, and so when that happened, we, were, we, we really second, gave second thought to, to opening up another unit because without without the original without the mother location we don't have anything you know we don't have anything and so thankfully you know um the the contract with the landlord you know they they were completely understanding and easy to work with and so um we decided not to to continue on with the second location we were very close to, to completing it and everything but i unfortunately just didn't work out what we did gain out of that was that, you know, uh, how precious and how valuable the one location is. The one location is, you know, our restaurant is your baby, right? Your re a restaurant is your baby and you have to nurture it. You have to take care of it. You have to love it and grow it and, 
and 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 help it along and and that's what became our main objective and it still is it always will be keeping that restaurant going because it is just has become you know such a staple in the neighborhood and to and, and in other people's lives and we um, really want to work hard to maintain that one you know the one and then well, restaurant is a lot of work. So, <laughs> you know, restaurant's a lot of work. So I think we're good for right now. They're opening up another location, another unit is not off the table at all. You know, that's definitely something that we, we might want to look into later on down the road. But for right now, we're just really trying to make sure that we keep this one restaurant just up and running and, and um, you know, as a place for people to come to and a place that people can still come to work to. What are your days and hours? Uh, we are open uh, Monday through Sunday. Uh, we open at 7 a.m. every day. And, and then our closing hours are various. Like Fridays and Saturdays, we close at 11. Sundays, we close at 9. And then the other days, we close at 10 p.m. So is it a, you open up early in the morning. Um, is it a, it a pretty robust breakfast crowd? There um, is, there is. Well, we serve breakfast all day. We have always served breakfast all day, which is something that seems to be um, a touchy subject with some people. You know, some restaurants don't serve breakfast all day and a lot of customers and people say, well, why not? What's the problem? You know, and we always didn't really see a problem with it. We're like, well, why not? The eggs are there. You know, the, the <laughs> potatoes are there. Why not? Let's right. just scramble up an egg real quick. You know, what's the big deal? So we do serve breakfast all day and we do sell breakfast all day long. People come looking for it all day long. Now we have, uh, we have happy hour in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. And uh, so we started that about 10 years ago because we saw a lot of like night night nurses, night shift nurses and doctors coming in because they get off at seven, right? So that's, that is their happy hour, you know? And they would come in and have a beer, have a margarita after work and stuff and de-stress and, you know, and have, have a little happy hour for themselves. And so that's why we kind of started that little happy hour there because they it became popular and they were like, Hey, what about us? We want happy hour too, you know? So we got that going in and it has become very popular. And so sometimes you can come in, you know, even on a Monday, some days at eight 30 and it's rocking inside, you know, with, and it's just filled with nurses and doctors and they're just, they're relaxing, having a good time. And, um, and it, it is fun to see. It is fun to see, you know, they, they deserve it. They deserve it tremendously too. So, <laughs> but yeah, we, we do open at 7 a.m. every day and we serve breakfast all day long. And that's, that's always been huge for us to do that. Wow. Yeah. Besides the breakfast menu all day, um, what are the other say uniquenesses? Uh, do you feel like your menu is fairly large? I think our menu is very big. You know, we would love to trim it back some, but it's just so hard to do. It's just so hard to do it. it. It's just so hard to do because you don't want to disappoint, you know, somebody who's looking for the one particular dish or, you know, or maybe it's, you know, someone's favorite or, um, you know, I just, I, I would hate to um, exclude someone because they don't see what, what they've been looking for on the menu you know, for so long, and all of a sudden, it's not there. Um, but the, the menu is, there's many things on the menu to eat. And we've got all the options pretty much for anybody at any time of the day. I mean, you can order anything at any time of the day. Um, 
but um you know, we have gotten rid of things and, you know, obviously because they're just not moving and they're just not selling or people just don't know what they are and they don't, they don't order them. So, um, but at the moment, the way our menu is, I think we're, we're pretty happy with it. We're, we're happy with the way it is now. It's, it's manageable. It's manageable because we, we do everything. We prep everything ourselves. So it, it takes employees and time and, and effort to do all those things. So we can't grow it too much, you know, but um, the way it is now, we're happy with it. Is there a signature that you uh, or signatures that um, just seem to be really, really hot sellers or oh, you're even kind of known for if this is this is the place to go there for this? <laughs> oh, man, I guess, you know, that's such a um, that's such a subjective question because that could be so different for everybody. Right. Mm -hmm. And, sure. um, you know, um, I feel like we're known for. Um, our chilaquiles and our menudo is something we do. We we make our menudo. We we have menudo. It's been on the men on the menu for from the beginning for a long time, and it is very good. It's been written about, so people do know them, and it is a very good menudo. Um, our breakfast, our huevos rancheros. I feel like people do know us for that, and uh, we have a big jumbo burrito that's like this huge monster. Tortilla. I was wondering when you were going up to and people really love that thing too. Our carne guisada, our carne guisada, which is a dish that most people know what that is. You know, we always say it's beef with gravy. You know, people call it the gravy. And um, but the carne guisada, I, I do feel like that that is another dish that people really do know us about, know us for is that also. Yeah. Just those traditional guisadas, those stews that you just don't see in in, in a lot of restaurants, you know. I feel like that. And then, of course, on the weekends, we do chicharrones, which are the fried pork skins. And we do carnitas, which is um, fried uh, pork shoulder. And that's also those are things that we only see on the weekends. And that's stuff, all, all, stuff like that. Also, you don't really see in many restaurants also. And those things are very authentic. <laughs> they're very mm -hmm. authentic and they're so good. See, I think what we're hearing here, Barry, I think is worth pointing out to the listeners that, you know, sometimes it's done well consistently and with commitment, there is uh, the ability to profit going counterculture. I mean, because here we are in an era where we um, see more and more concepts getting more and more specific. And yet here's one that is extremely busy being both very authentic and yet also uh, offering more of the, say what you might consider the common American Tex-Mex menu. There's a tremendous movement for people to be uh, tight kitchen labor, more efficiencies, uh, more production, par levels, and, and pre-made foods to lower that labor. And here, it's a very big menu. Boom, that's a big one. Uh, there's a tremendous movement for restaurants that do really good with breakfast to excel. Breakfast, lunch, close at three. I mean, there's a ton of restaurants doing that. And yet, here's one that says, no, I think we'll stay open for lunch and dinner, and yet we'll still serve breakfast. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, I mean, why not? <laughs> why not? The stove's on. The eggs are right there. You know, I mean, why not crack an egg and scramble it up for somebody who wants potato and egg? I mean, that's what they could leave because we don't have it, and then they'll go somewhere else. And what if they like that place better than ours? And so, and then they never come back, you know, because we didn't serve them potato and egg at 10 p.m., you know. So, There's never a bad time for huevos rancheros. Never, never, never. But to your point, Chris, and, and I'm so impressed with the longevity of the staff. 
Um, and this is really your wheelhouse, both of your wheelhouse, having worked in the back of the house and planning. Um, when you have that longevity and you have people who are coming there and have done this every day, I've got to believe the teamwork in the restaurant in the back of the house is strong. People are communicating. They know what they're doing. They've made it a thousand times and they're going to make it a thousand times more. And it's always going to come out that well. Um, is a consistency in your mind, Chris? really what can help make a, a big menu like this work? Uh, yeah, it's a very good point to make, I think. Uh, and, and it's more difficult, obviously, when you've got more menu items and less uh, cross utilization. Uh, and so um, so that does make it a little bit harder on the operations. Their, their operation, obviously, is a little more challenged and does require a higher level of, uh, of you know, workability in preparation because they've got a wide variety of recipes and uh, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner at the same time. So, so you're right, this is a more difficult way to go. But for them, it's a cultural way from the beginning Absolutely. and it seems to work. Um, and I would bet that mom still walks through that kitchen oh, yeah. <laughs> with a, <laughs> with a wooden time. spoon tasting yeah. <laughs> things and no one wants to disappoint mom. No, of course not. She's, my parents are still very involved and they don't plan on going anywhere anytime soon you know that the restaurant keeps them busy and it keeps them healthy and it keeps them active that you know it, it's 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 their exercise as well it keeps their mind busy too and they, they're they're in good shape my parents are in really good shape and they want to work you know they they want to work they want to travel of course they want to go visit family and they want to see new places and things like that but they want they want to work they want to be around the restaurant they like seeing the customers they like seeing the employees and the employees love seeing them as well you know because they've they they you know they they've been there for so long and the employees have been there for so long and it's just we all know each other everybody knows each other everybody knows each other's family members everybody's husbands and grandkids and all those kinds of things and everybody gets invited to a wedding or a baptism and you know we're all there everybody's there and I think um those um you know, they, my mother is still very involved in the kitchen. She still makes, mm -hmm. she, she makes tamales still. She makes mole. She makes the mole, which is very laborious, a very laborious sauce. And, um, and they just, they enjoy it. They enjoy it. They really do like that kind of stuff. So um, they, they're around and they love it. They love being around. Can you walk us through how uh, you've probably, done very, very well in the community mind of maintaining uh, brand awareness. But over these many years and with the changing uh, dynamic of the consumer in the neighborhood, um, how have you modified your approach to community marketing, you know, shifting from, say, more traditional mediums to more social media? How has that worked for a brand as established as yours? Well, um, gosh, um, you know, you don't you don't get to have a 40 year old restaurant in the same neighborhood without uh, having a community presence. You know, you, everybody in the neighborhood knows, they know who we are. We're the local neighborhood, Mexican neighborhood restaurant, you know, and um, you, you, you develop relationships from that and through the restaurant, you know, we've seen people, um, We've seen parents become grandparents and we've seen, we've seen couples become parents and they come in with their newborns and we've seen kids graduate and 
I mean, just so many milestones that people honor us with their, you know, celebrating it with us. And, you know, we love seeing those kinds of things. Um, now, if you were to ask my dad, if, um, if me and my sibling, myself and my siblings never came around, I don't know if he would have ever gotten around to <laughs> uh, getting a website and, you know, getting a POS system and doing social media. And, you know, we manage those things ourselves, you know, myself mainly with the social media and stuff, because I can just do it all from my phone. And I try to stay current with what's going on and what I see in social media and things like that. So I try to put that forth in, in our own social media. But I mean, the um, the interaction, the interaction with the customers on social media also is huge. And customers really do like because it does feel like, hey, it's somebody that's at the restaurant, you know, that's actually responding back to me, you know, or may, or liking my comment and things like that. It's not, you know, some firm and somebody at a desk at, at a marketing firm that's responding to the to comments and and mm -hmm. likes and stuff like that. And I do, I do, and people do say. You can tell, you can tell it's you, you can tell it's you guys, you know, you can just feel the difference that it's someone from within the restaurant that is managing that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, you know, just having been in the, in the neighborhood for so long, I mean, you just, you can't help but be a presence in that neighborhood, especially in Montrose and the people, um, many of the people that live in Montrose, they've been there forever and they don't plan on going anywhere else, you know, and you, you become, you all become integrated, you know? Yeah. The, the, um, the, the whole community spirit and family nature of the company is just uh, resonate for me. And I just yeah. keep coming back to that, how important yeah, no, that is. It is and then you personally being engaged in social media, um, you know, I think that a lot of operators don't really appreciate how important that is to to guests to feel like they are, are part of yeah, the family at the of the restaurant where they enjoy going to. Um, yeah. I agree. I agree 100 percent. You know, that interaction, it's extremely important, you know, before social media. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, those are the, probably the two that we, those are the two that we utilize the most. Before that, the interaction was in person, you know, in person, right. and it was at the restaurant. And I think what sets us apart is, um, you know, for my parents and us as well, myself and my brother and my sister, we're around, you know, we're there. You see us, you see the owners walking around. You can shake his hand. Hey, how's it going? And you can tell somebody, hey, thanks for the business. Thank you for coming here, you know. And those small things go such a long way, you know. And um, I think just just that heartfelt interaction with people, whether it's on uh, online, social media, or in person, it's just those small gestures that just mean so much to people. They mean so much to myself. Even when I go to a restaurant and a manager says, Hey, thanks for coming, you know, and I always make it a point. Food was great, you know, because you want to hear that feedback too. Right. And, um, but yeah, it, it matters. It matters a ton, you know, and we have had offers for other people to manage our other firms to manage our social media. And me personally, I'm like, Nope, Nope. I can do it. I can do it from my car. 
<laughs> I can do it at you home. are doing it and you're doing it very well. So oh, thank you. It's fun. <laughs> it's fun to do. And it's fun to interact with the customer and seeing people's pictures and seeing people tag the restaurants and putting their, their food on their, our food on their story. And it's so, or people tagging the restaurant on Facebook, Hey, I'm here celebrating my 40th birthday or whatever, you know, and it's just, it's just really neat to see. And it feels special. It feels special that someone thought, Hey, I want to celebrate my special moment here with, with La Mexicana. And it's just like, we feel that, you know, us as a family and us as a business, we, we feel, we, we feel those things. We do. I think the takeaway for our listeners here is that though we, we do spend a lot of time, and I think rightly so, on the fact that this is a day and age, it's very competitive, costs are high, the use of technology requires a lot of our attention, yeah. uh, becoming more and more labor efficient is mm-hmm. always the right thing to do. But, but just mining the basics, uh, uh, these past few minutes listening to Zalema talk always about the commitment of having the customers bond, having the staff engage, having everyone just have that old fashioned touch mm-hmm. Uh, and sense of belonging uh, is something that um, that uh, I want all restaurant operators to realize we're never going to be able to get away from. Not if you, not if you want to be successful. Certainly not if you want to uh, be able to operate successfully for forty years. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's the hospitality business, regardless of the tools. Um, I think that's for me a, a big takeaway, and it's uh, it's really a wonderful story and. Um, uh, very impressed with everything that you've told us. I we're to, coming toward the end of the hour, Chris, but uh, uh, I, I think I've gotten a lot out of this. I hope our readers have too, in terms of you know how to set themselves apart in their community. And I think one of the things that Zulema has been uh, underscoring is that these type of things are really important competitive advantages to chains and restaurants that don't spend as much time being involved with their staff, being involved with their community, creating this sense of belonging. Right on target. Yes, sir. Zulema, thank you so much. Oh, uh, thank I, you I, mean, so I love, much. I love, like, like Barry said, I mean, we love the story and, and the way you were able to just so easily walk us through oh, gosh. how people re, uh, consistently can handle people correctly uh, is, is, is fresh uh, to hear. And, and I think our listeners gained a lot from it. So thank you. thanks for taking your too. time. And Oh, no, thank you for the invitation. This was so great. This was really cool experience. Thank you so much. And I hope everybody enjoys the, the, the story. I'm sure they will. We certainly did. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. Thanks, everyone. And so I hope everyone will go make it a good rest of the day until we see you next time on the Corner Booth. Thank you for joining us on the Corner Booth. We'll be back next Tuesday with more inspiration, insights, and industry best practices to help you engage your team, delight your guests, and grow your business.